What's up, everybody? I'm Jake Mintz. And I'm Jordan Schusterman. And we are the hosts of Baseball Barbacast. And we are so excited to be back recording a podcast together Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for the 2024 Major League Baseball season. I am so excited for this year, Jake. Yeah, we are here with Yahoo Sports. Our time off of podcasting has weighed on me heavy. I've been delivering baseball takes to inanimate objects. So I'm rearing to get back to talking ball with my buddy. So join us on Baseball Barbercast. We're going to have a good time. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Time now for the College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel. Guess who shows up at NFL training camps? <laughs> All American quarterbacks, lots yeah. of them. With SI's Pat Forty. But this is by far the biggest get, the biggest moment of the Sarkeesian era, such as it is for now. Here's Pat and Dan. I welcome to the pod, and this is an emergency pod. There's an actual pod after this pod. (laughs) That's right. This is the new beginning to the pod. (laughs) This makes no sense, but uh, this is what happened. We recorded a pod, and I was supposed to be golfing. (laughs) I was supposed to be winning money. Actually, I would not because gambling is illegal in golf. Yeah, right. There you go. Just joking. Mm -hmm. But I'm not because Arch Manning decided to screw up my day (laughs) by announcing his life decision. And now we are emergency potting before the actual pod, which is actually after the pod. But whatever. Arch Manning headed to Texas, Pat. What do you think? Huge. Huge. And yeah, like we literally had stopped send it, recording the pod and sent in the audio of that at like 12.13. And at 12.16, Arch dropped his one and only tweet, it appears, of his life. Just says, committed to Texas. Boom. Fascinating. Huge for Steve Sarkeesian. Huge for a Texas program that has been trying and trying and trying for a decade plus to get back to relevance. Arch blazing his own trail. You know, going outside of the family heritage, which was Mississippi and Tennessee. He lives in Louisiana. He didn't go into LSU, Georgia and Alabama, the SEC powers. He was looking at them, but no, he's going outside the SEC for now. Quite likely he will finish his career as an SEC player, but he's going to the Big 12, going to Texas. Uh, Sark's first year with the Longhorns was not very good. They were five and seven. They lost six in a row. They were punished by their old rival, Arkansas. They blew a three touchdown lead to their permanent rival, Oklahoma. Uh, he had rallied in recruiting, got Quinn Ewers, the number one quarterback in 2021 to transfer from Ohio state. But this is by far the biggest get the biggest moment of the Sarkeesian era, such as it is for now. And again, uh, kudos to Arch Manning for doing it his way. Low-key announcement, pick your own school, don't follow what the conventional wisdom of what the family's done may tell you to do. Do your thing, man. You know, let's all start with that. This is a 1960s recruiting. (laughs) There was almost no interviews. Yeah. 
he made a couple comments after a practice to on3.com. And it was all like, I like Texas. I like this school. I like that school. I like all schools. There was no less than honored to get a visit, anything. There's, there's, you said there's one tweet. How much money is that going to sell for as an NFT after they beat Oklahoma? (laughs) (laughs) That tweet is going to be like a million dollars. I'm sure someone needs to money launder and will buy that thing. (laughs) Yeah. He, 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 the family tried to keep it quiet. Cooper, they, 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 it's not Arch out there saying I'm number one player and I'm Arch Manning and everyone should bend to me. It's been very, very calm. Yeah. And just randomly on a Thursday afternoon in June, a couple hours before the NBA draft and less than an hour before I was supposed to play golf, <laughs> Arch just makes his announcement. So quality yeah. to that. All, yeah. all, everything has been very, very calm. And this kid is under an enormous uh, pressure, obviously. So, uh, and it, he can't escape that, but they certainly did not contribute to it. They did not. They, I mean, there was no, you know, ESPN live coverage. There was no hat game. There There's was no comments no, yet. Yeah, right. No tease uh, tweets or Instagram posts or anything, you know, not, none of that stuff. They, they, you're right. It was very old school. It was very professional, which you would expect from a family full of professional football players. Yes. So. Deal is done, Arch Manning. Now, as for heading to Texas, absolutely enormous get. There's, you cannot understate it. First off, uh, the, a floodgate of recruits will open here, uh, and we're talking immediately after this commitment. And so, I would expect, uh, you know, four or five recruits to follow very quickly to wherever Arch is going and head to Texas. This isn't just about getting one guy. This is about getting a bunch of guys. It's establishes Texas a foothold in New Orleans. It gives them, you know, yeah, the, the Louisiana SEC, son of the SEC, grandson of the SEC, as they're heading into the SEC. I, there's so many things that go on to it. Great, obviously, publicity for Texas. You know, great deal for, for Texas to get Arch Manning before he even completes a pass. So I would expect this to be huge. Uh, as we said, Longhorns could have... Three seasons left in the SEC in the Big Twelve could have two. Seems like so. Arch would show up in the fall of 2023. 25, he could play in the SEC for sure. And that would be his junior year. So as they head into the SEC, they will have a junior Arch Manning or a sophomore Arch Manning as as its player. So that that bodes very well for Texas. Yeah, I just think it's a it's a it's just a massive get. Sarkeesian. When, you know, they said he recruited him maybe as hard as possible. And it wasn't like Kirby Smart wasn't trying also or Lane Kiffin, uh, Nick Saban. But to go in and beat those guys for this level player. I mean, this is Texas. We're not this is not a total surprise. They should get great players. But if you want to win the SEC, you got to beat Georgia and Alabama. And the first place you got to beat them is have better players. That's right. They they certainly got that down. And they blunt a little bit of the A&M's getting everybody. So, yeah, for sure. That's all in there. So just a monumental get. And there was certainly a time when Georgia felt very good about their position. Oh, I mean, they did. And they they tried hard. I mean, Kirby Smart was going to games. He was going to basketball games to watch uh, Isidore Newman play. You know, I mean, they were all in. And so, as you said, I mean, Georgia <clears throat> and Alabama have been the recruiting Titans and obviously the on-field Titans as well. And to step up uh, at, for Steve Sarkeesian and to beat them for a guy that – that they really wanted. That that's huge. Uh, when they took the commitment from Eli Holstein, who's you know top fifty player nationally, great quarterback in his own right from Louisiana, 
So it kind of felt like they they kind of knew, but it certainly could have been Georgia and it certainly could have been Texas. He's going to go to Texas. Uh, I guess we'll find out more about it. Who's the biggest loser out of this? Because I think you can make an argument for LSU. Yeah, let's go negative. Let's go yeah, negative. That's, you know, mm-hmm. it's what we do. <laughs> on a, on a box of mm-hmm. Sully just like, who sucks the worst? <laughs> but I think there, you can make an argument for, for Brian LSU, Kelly and LSU. Yeah. Why yeah. LSU? Because I think everybody in the state of Louisiana is looking at where is Arch going, and I can go there with him. And it, 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 at LSU, you gotta you got to put a fence around the state. And that's where they, when they've been good, they've gotten every single player they've ever wanted out of that state. And if you get a pipeline from Texas going, you know, right across the border to Austin, watch out. Interesting. Yeah. No, I mean, you're, I think your point is good, Sully, that, I mean, LSU has always gotten the guys that it wanted and needed from Louisiana. The thing is, Arch isn't necessarily that classic Louisiana guy. His family ties, he's from the whole SEC as much as he's from New Orleans. Uh, nobody else in the family had ever gone there. But, uh, you know, for Brian Kelly, they wanted him for sure and to not get him. They did get Walker Howard, uh, an excellent quarterback prospect, so they, it's not like they're hurting at that position. But this was the chance to get the foundational quarterback, and he's leaving your state. Uh, there are 22 uh, players ranked four-star or higher per rivals from the state of Louisiana alone. I mean, it is a mother load of talent. Uh, Texas has uh, Arch now and William Randall, who is a tight end and Arch's teammate from Isidore Newman. Uh, I get Sully's point, though. I mean, LSU needs to dominate its state. There's still plenty of talent to get. But Texas is Texas and Texas A&M are threats to them. I mean, they're they're great options that are not that far away. And so, you know, for Brian Kelly, this is the challenge. I think he came in so far behind on Arch Manning. The Mannings yeah. were never sending their play- kid to play for Ed Orgeron. They won't. No. They're too polite to say that, but <laughs> we can say it. Yeah, I mean that was not going to happen. You know, now it's a matter of do they get all these other guys and and do it. I, I think there's enough players that you know you can lose a few and it won't absolutely murder you, but that'll do it. All right, so well like, to tease this out, past what uh, Sully said, other losers from this. I mean, I would say. You know, Ole Miss, but I, I, I didn't think they were ever going to get him. But, but you know, that's Cooper's uh, alma mater and Eli's alma mater. And Kiffin was certainly trying. You remember the the whole that they put Manning in the end zone when they had that when they retired Eli's number or whatever during the fall. I mean, everything they were everything they were doing on recruiting was cert was. Didn't he have a mask at one point during the COVID? He had a mask oh, at right. Manning. Yeah. yeah, or 16 or 18 or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Lane was trying all the Lane gimmicks. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and then Georgia, look, they do have other talented quarterbacks they have recruited behind Stetson Bennett, the eternal Georgia quarterback who Dan Wetzel continues to slander. But uh, the, so they've got uh, Kirby Smart has signed some big time QBs, but they still haven't gotten the guy that says, we're just going to change the offense and we're going to go wide open. And we're going to spread and chuck. And I think Arch would have been that guy. Maybe they still do that. But I, I think that that was the way that they were headed. Yeah. I mean, it's a loss for Georgia. But same with Alabama. But again, they'll bounce, they're going to get a good player. So not too worried here. This was bigger. This is a bigger win for Texas than loss for the others, I think. I agree. But again, maybe you'll you're, miss. You're somewhat violating pod ethos here. by. I'm being really nice. I know. I don't. I don't especially care for it. I mean, Ole Miss more because it's you don't normally have like some way to get an edge and get a kid like that. 
Yeah, it's right, not like, like they're under recruiting violations and Peyton's going to Tennessee. Like they're they're <laughs> wide open and doing well right now. And yeah, I mean, shed your tears for Georgia. Yeah. Poor Georgia. How will they respond? Uh, all right, let's get to this though. The battle. Quinn Ewers, who is the number one consensus recruit in the class of 2022, reclassified to 2021 and went to Ohio State, did nothing there, ha- made two handoffs in a game, transferred to Texas. He is going to battle to be the starting QB this year, and I would expect with his hype, he will get on the, and talent, he will get on the field pretty quickly. He will be going into his second year. Arch Manning now shows up a year later, uh, number one consensus recruit in class of 23. Ewers and Manning are like the only two players that, I mean, these are really highly rated QBs. Not just five-star number one, but like their player ratings are near perfect or perfect. The joke is Quinn Ewers will transfer again. I don't see that. Uh, he's got a year head start, and his third year out of high school, Manning would just be showing up and could certainly not play as a freshman if Ewers can beat him out. But it'll certainly be a battle. What, what do you what do you make of Quinn Ewers' situation, knowing uh, a Manning is coming in? Well, I mean. I know Quinn Ewers is confident in his ability, uh, and a lot of people, other people are confident in his ability. I'd still be looking over my shoulder at Arch Manning. Uh, no matter what, when he shows up, people are going to be expecting him to play. So that'll be an incredibly intriguing camp. And we'll, we'll see if Arch is an early enrollee, if he's there for spring 2023, uh, and what that competition might look like then, or if he goes all the way through high school at Newman and then sh- arrives in june or whatever and then we have an august uh camp battle but that that's going to be like the most interesting camp battle of all time (laughs) because we're talking i i would say you can tell me if you think i'm wrong but uh i think arch manning's the highest profile recruit we've ever seen and you put him in with another national number one recruit at Texas, whoo, that's some pretty good stuff. I, you know, I, I don't know whether Arch is going to step in and immediately shove everybody aside and be ready to start as a true freshman, but there will be intrigue there. And here's the thing with viewers: I mean, if, if he were to want to transfer, the NCAA rule, ha, 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 is Guess you get a one-time free transfer. The second time, there's supposed to be, uh-uh, you sit out. Now, we've seen that get absolutely trashed, as usual, like all NCAA rules, but... I would like, wonder what's his argument for transferring now. They got I, another guy like that's, that's. I mean, he's got to invent the they, yeah, he would have to somewhere with cancer. Yes, he'd have to yeah. invent, you know, it would have to be a mental health thing or whatever. I don't think he goes anywhere. I mean, he's going to have a full year to start. If Quinn, let me put it this way. If Quinn Ewers is so worried about competition 13 months from now when Texas brings camp, because my guess is Manning does not gray shirt or whatever and go early. I think the Mannings maybe keep him through his has a normal senior year. Could well be. So if you've got that much time advantage on a guy and you're worried you're going to lose your job to a true freshman in 15 months, then Quinn Ewers, if I'm an NFL uh, team, I'm terrified right. of Quinn Ewers because guess who shows up at NFL training camps? <laughs> All American quarterbacks, lots yeah. of them. Nobody right. just says, oh, we're not going to have another guy mm-hmm. until you've proven yourself to be that. So you have to fight for your job. He, if he's good enough, you know, will people want Arch on the field this freshman year? Yeah, but not if Quinn's winning. That may well be the way it plays out. You know, that, that Quinn Ewers is going to say, look, I'm fine. I'm not worried about it. Uh, and I'm going to roll with it. And no matter what, if I'm if I'm if I'm just thinking about the NFL, I'm going to be out after three years. And yeah, I think Quinn Ewers is like, I'm here two years and I'm gone. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. So Mac Jones is starting quarterback for the New England freaking Patriots sat for a couple of years. So uh, yes, he did. Yeah. So. so, you know, 18 months from now, I'm turning pro. Right. If I'm Quinn Ewers, 18 months from now, I'm yeah. turning pro. That's yeah, his mindset. two seasons. So yep. if Arch is there for some of it uh, and got to share some duties or I, I think it's a pretty good transition. And and I think if you're Arch Manning, that's actually probably the way you want to go. The Mannings are not. These are very, very smart people. And uh, there's literally no one else on earth that knows more about development of quarterbacks since they've had three all pros in the family. You know, so they might be sitting there saying, good, I hope you sit as a freshman. Yeah. Yeah. Peyton uh, started midway through his freshman year, right? Yes. Uh, yep. For a while, he was behind baseball player Todd Helton on the depth chart. And then Todd was like, yeah. oh, I think this guy's pretty good. I'm going to go play baseball. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, that, I mean, your point is is very valid. It's like the, the Mannings are playing the long game. They, they're, they've been around. They're smart. You know, the, I don't think they're not star in the eyes. Oh, my gosh, my child is is the chosen one. He has to play something and, that I think has afflicted so many other parents of great players. They have the perspective on this and they know, look, Arch is going to make a killing in NIL money at Texas. It's still not going to be as much money as he's probably going to make in the NFL if he's that good. You know, and they know that they know where the big payday is. They know what the long game is. Go enjoy college. At your own pace. And then eventually, your profession is to make $200 million or more as an NFL quarterback in your oh, 20s and 30s. Hundreds of millions more than that. Yeah, if you get that second contract. I mean, these deals are now worth four or $500 million. Our, uh, Peyton played in 11 games in 1994 at Tennessee. Attempted 144 passes, 89 completions. I don't know exactly how many he started. I think uh, the UCLA game was famous where he came on and that then he, he kind of stayed. Over. Yeah. Eli Manning in 2000 at Old Miss played in just six games and attempted just 33 passes, completing 16 for 170 yards, no TDs, one interception, and then played the next three years as the starter. Uh, both Manning brothers played all four years of college. So, you know, those are their, those are his uncles. Uh, but if there is a track record, it's not that the Manning family is like, we need to start day one. And his dad it's, is famous for having a great time in all four years at Ole Miss. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. I will say I this. I, I would hope tonight there's a party at Kingpin, uh, the dive bar in New Orleans, yeah. where, where Cooper tends to have a seat of honor. Pour some Sweetens Cove into a glass and leave it there waiting for Cooper to roll in. All right. He might. He might. Yeah. So. I, I don't think it's going to be a big issue. And I think that's the, I mean, that's the beauty of getting these kind of commitments when you can stack top quarterbacks and you're Texas, you're sitting there going, all right, we're good. We might be good here for five years. So we will see. We will see. But um, big development here in recruiting our arch manning. Uh, we've been, we've been getting two years of content out of this guy. So yeah, I guess I'm a little, I'll forgive him for screwing little up sad, man. Well, he screwed up your golf game and he also like, we were kind of hoping to milk him for the rest of the summer. So yeah. Well, we'll still do it anyway. Texas fans, <laughs> my family, a lot of Longhorns, and they're texting me that they're the next commit's going to be Bronny James off of this. So. <laughs> <laughs> Texas is back. What was the line someone had? Uh, an arch is just a, a horns down. <laughs> it's good. Good line. Good line. Good line. Horns are up today. Horns are up right. today. Texas uh, takes a lot of deserved heat from all the fan bases, but they're having themselves a day. A lot of jealousy out there. You got go, Arch Manning. Go drink some Sweetens Cove. I know you got some in Austin. Yeah, good mm. job. All right, now we'll go. Now we'll do our regular podcast. Yeah, stay tuned.
So uh, you're not welcome at the pod now because I'll welcome you to your pod in like two seconds. All right, welcome to the pod. And yeah, I use the word the Ohio the, State. The pod. pod. Good, yeah. Ryan Day, sue me. <laughs> While you're standing on the third base. <laughs> oh, boy. After getting Ohio trucked State. by the Jim Harbaugh. Ohio State has somehow been awarded the trademark of the word the, as in the or the Ohio State. I say I didn't pronouncing that wrong. <laughs> the Ohio State University. How the hell do you get the word the? <laughs> it's it might be the most common word in the language, right? And who they all yeah. of a sudden now one school gets it? I don't like I, it. I don't understand the concept. You'll make a killing. Now just selling, if I, I may, maybe I do this to have them come after me. Just have the word the on a hat and t-shirts. You'll sell them in Ohio. <laughs> You've got to love Ohio State for the simplicity of their, their passion. Because previous, first they, they've now filed for the word the, okay? They, they, but even before that, they just walked around proud of how they took two different groups of people to combine to spell O-H-I-O, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait i oh like they like one guy couldn't do it alone no. like, i'll take the first half <laughs> you take the second part okay like when you're trying to remember a phone number you ever do that Dan, like, it, all right yeah. I, it's, it's someone's just, gonna give me his phone number you remember these remember 863 <laughs> they run around the state saying oh and then two other guys yell i oh and they do that they actually Actually, like, show how they do the O. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's a C and spell. Uh, you know, great <laughs> early elementary tool. Great to, to, to have them uh, be able to master that. But you got to be careful here, Dan. It sounds like you are coming dangerously close to imputing the academic standards of Ohio State. And you can, the Ohio State. You can ask Marcus Freeman how that goes. None of these people went to Ohio State. <laughs> no. I think a lot of Ohio State grads are kind of embarrassed that they're like at a truck stop somewhere outside Steubenville and some guy's yelling O-H. <laughs> uh, the O-H-I-O. Yeah. They've added a whole new element to the spelling bee. Now. Oh, this is going to screw them up. Now they they've got to walk around and go T-H-E. And then somebody else has get... to go O-H. And then a third person has to go I-O. It's a mess. And you got to get the really smart guy to do T-H-E because that's three <laughs> letters. I mean, that's a lot to remember. Pick the smartest one of the group. Just got you got to love it. Yeah. No, I just... don't. I, apparently, this is legal. I. Paul Bowen said on Twitter, and I, I think Ohio University, <laughs> since they're officially the oldest um, university in Ohio, they should trademark an Ohio University. Ah, <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Ohio U. Dash Columbus. Well, they once before they tried to trademark Ohio. They were, I remember that one because A, there's Ohio University. It's also just the state of Ohio. I mean, I, I appreciate how important Ohio State is to the people of Ohio, but it's not that important. No. <laughs> like many other people really don't care about the school. They don't go to the college. They don't go to college at all. They don't know about it. They don't, you know. The OHIO. We've uh, I I know this isn't completely rooted in college athletics, but it's so it's it's so college athletics it hurts that like we yeah we we not only 
want to be called the Ohio State University, which is uh, which is highfalutin enough. But but we now actually have to trademark it and we have to own it. So here we are. It's just beautiful. I'm sure there's some good reason, but I I'm not smart. I can barely spell O H I O without another guy. So I'm not going <laughs> to you know. All I know is the College Football Inquirer podcast is here to make fun of the Ohio State. We're not backing perpetuity. down. We're going to oh, no. use the word the. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to use all articles. Uh, we will podcast. use all articles. <laughs> we will. The wide receiver university. That's what they are. Well, that's for sure. The land. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable recruiting hall. Yeah. I think the th- next step is just recruiting off the Pro Bowl roster. <laughs> you go from having Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson drafted. Uh, now you've got. Jackson Smith and Jigba and Marvin Harrison Jr. waiting to just roll in and, and be superstars. And then the next group comes in, these three top 10 guys that they have uh, all gotten commitments from within the last week at wide receiver. Wow. Let's say you're like a defensive back getting recruited to like Michigan State or Penn State or Michigan. You're just like, yeah, forget it. I'll go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to deal with these guys. I'll never get drafted. These guys are going to torch me. That's right. Years. They'll put the like. I'm go to the Pac-12. They'll put three hours of horror show game film on tape of me getting just <laughs> roasted by them. I'm going to be on an island here. Everyone's on an island. All right, the Ohio State. The podcast is unimpressed. The podcast is sitting here in late June. Mm-hmm. We're, we're appreciative you gave us like yeah. four minutes there. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Other news. We were on this and you know, we've, we've apologized for our role in promoting Ames, Iowa tap water. <laughs> we were duped but like everyone else. We were duped. We were duped by the song. So I play the song, play in the background a few minutes, but um, we also had the podcast investigation that showed it was all a fraud. Yeah. Oh, look, I mean, you, so you, we, you can fool us once. You ain't fooling us twice. So we did. I think we did our service. We did our civic duty, man. (laughs) And now we get this. The city of Ames says a change in EPA regulations means its drinking water now exceeds the federal limit for PFAS, otherwise known as, quote, forever chemicals. Super. PFAS include man-made compounds used for years in nonstick coating, water repellents, and even food packaging. Ames says it's taking measures to clean up its water. Well, if the water was so good, buddy, <laughs> don't blame it on the EPA. For a glass of water when you visit our town, crack a smile. It's the cleanest around. City officials say another safe option for residents to use a home water filtration system. Or move to Keokuk. Well, there's the best solution. Not only was your water not the best in Iowa, despite your claims, Ames, but then when we found out that Keokuk was kicking your ass in the water derby, uh, and now you're poisoning people. Unbelievable. They're out here dumping nonstick coating in the water. Very this bad. Season's, yeah, this, is, this, is, this has been a tough year for Iowa State. Yeah. They were the darlings of college football last offseason. Did not deliver on the field, and now this. See, a lot of false false billing. Over, I feel overrating. Bad. We literally, we've had many listeners drive to Ames to try the tap water, and I feel bad. I hope I'm not liable. I'm, <laughs> okay. get, let's lawyer up. We better lawyer up. Let's, we, let's get our disclaimers in those, order. Yeah, like those medical. <laughs> if you take this pill, could cause. And they list off everything, including death. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to have to do like a, a three times speed read off at the uh, end of yeah. every podcast. 
<laughs> we do not. <laughs> we, we did not actually not taste the water ourselves and endorse water. the water ourselves. Yeah, this is not a, we guarantee nothing. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is bad. We might have killed somebody. <laughs> uh, oh, brother. Oh, uh, Pod's in trouble. The- Pod is in trouble. All right. Update on the Jello Shot Challenge. The college yeah. baseball world series. Arkansas is running away with it as of uh well over a thousand up on Ole Miss. As of this taping, the two teams will play later today to see who makes the finals. Obviously, if somebody's going home, Ole Miss, like if Arkansas goes home, Ole Miss will have a chance to catch up. Yeah. Yeah. I, like the, there's two titles on the line here. Well, there are two big things on the line. One, who gets to go play Oklahoma for the national title? And who wins the Jello Shot Challenge? Because whoever stays in advances should win. Some Arkansas fan will probably stick around to try to like. <laughs> it's like the Marines. Don't you leave no one behind? <laughs> right. Maybe they should all stay. They might. Not out of the <laughs> question. We lost the game. Pretty disappointing. But we will. So I don't know. Ryan McGee of ESPN fame was on a charter flight from Nashville or uh, Charlotte yesterday and tweeted out that it was just an Ole Miss charter flight. Really? So it sounds like they're going to be oh, there. For, they're pouring they're bringing in. reserves. There we go. Bring, they're bringing <laughs> reserves. <laughs> I know back in uh, the day, LSU fans loved the College World Series so much they would go even when their team didn't make it. Yeah, they were there like, like last yeah. year. Just a whole whole section of LSU flags in the, in the parking lot. Yeah, they're amazing when it comes to baseball. Well, the other update here is uh, the owners of the of it uh kevin and bonnie Kuljat. they own rocco's pizza in downtown omaha and uh i awarded them the small sample heisman last episode deservedly yeah it was deserved at the time but like reggie bush i think i'm rescinding it wait a minute what are you doing yeah. oh, i'm rescinding no, it. oh we have a do we have a scandal yeah. there's a scandal that is very uncollege athletics like Kevin and Bonnie Kuljad have said that they're so overwhelmed by the amount of money they've made off of this gimmick because they're selling watered down jello shots for overpriced, you know, things. They're making they're going to make over one hundred thousand dollars in jello shots. Yeah, it's four fifty a shot, four fifty a shot. And this thing's, you know, muscling towards twenty thousand jello shots sold. We'll see where it ends up, but they could get close. I guess I wouldn't quite make it. We'll see. I don't put anything past them. It's no, they're still to get a three game final, all that. Yeah, they have announced they are going to give two dollars per Jello shot to the purchases. I believe only involving Ole Miss and in Arkansas, and they're going to donate it to food pantries back in Fayetteville and Oxford to help food insecurities in those communities. Hell yeah! So they're going to donate some money back. I, I'm 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 way I'm failing to see the scandal here. Please enlighten me, Kevin and Bonnie. Yeah. This is a private message. Everyone else, don't listen. <laughs> private message to you, people. This is college athletics. <laughs> okay. There's no room for charity. <laughs> you seemed, it seemed like you understood this when you brilliantly <laughs> played off the massive insecurities and hyper competitiveness of two SEC fan bases. <laughs> and you got the Ole Miss fans, you got the Arkansas fans to somehow put their self-worth in the ability to buy 1,000 Jello shots at 9 in the morning on a Tuesday. <laughs> and I applauded you for it. I hailed you. You were my hero. You were the latest side entry to make a buck off of this circus <laughs> and the general dysfunction of college <laughs> sports fans. 
I awarded you the small sample Heisman, our highest honor here. It is our highest honor. And now you're giving the money back, (laughs) Kevin. (laughs) Bonnie, have you learned nothing from this industry? A food pantry, like real food pantry? (laughs) You are disrespecting our forefathers, the spiritual leaders in graft, like John Junker of the Fiesta Bowl. There should be a slide coming out of Rocco's into like into the stadium. That's what they need to do with this money. That's what you construct. All over. Next year at the bowl director meeting, they will have, during one of their many cocktail hours, there will be roars of laughter at what you've just did. Ari Fleischer is shaking his head and cackling at your innocence. Probably from the back of a Saudi Arabian yacht. You never give back the money, ever. You want to be charitable, Kevin and Bonnie? Appear charitable. (laughs) This is college athletics. You take like the 25 grand or whatever you're going to donate, set up your own 501c3, the Jello Shot Food Pantry Inc. or something. (laughs) Donate the money to that. Then you install your daughter or your cousin or your dog or whatever. As head of the charity. Yeah, yeah. Cool 15 grand management fee rate, of course. Then you charge them office space for Jello Shot Food Pantry Inc. in like a broom closet in Rocco's for like five grand a year. <laughs> then you set up an off-site board meeting, <laughs> i.e. the family summer vacation. Yes. Park City. Park with, City. With the, yeah. with the playoff committee. With all the playoff people. Mm-hmm. And you expense that to the charity. Then and only then are you truly part of the fabric of college athletics. Now, you should have like 300 bucks left. Good. (laughs) That's what you give to the pantry. Go buy some cans. Oh, you'll give anything to anybody else. Yeah, your (laughs) thing. Go buy some cans of soup, some non-perishables, get a a film crew. Go find someone in the neighborhood to get pictures for the website and the social media about giving back. Make sure you get a good snapshot of some kid from Omaha getting a free box of Fruit Loops. (laughs) This is an actual charitable giving organization that honors college athletics. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong, Pat. <laughs> That's one of the great cynical rants in podcast history right there. <laughs> it's almost like you've been around college athletics for too long, Dan Wetzel, and you know how the sausage gets made. It's almost that way. Or the jello shots get made. Yes, how <laughs> the jello say. shots get made. One packet of gelatin at a time. Oh my goodness, that's that's tremendous. And, and yeah, you're right. That uh, minimize your act of charity as much as possible and publicize it as much as possible, and pocket the proceeds. It's almost you know, it's like I, I don't know where you've somehow conned football fans. That, yes, 11 a.m. kickoffs and 100 degree temperature are good because we're getting 70 million dollars from this network to do it. Yeah, letting you know six days in advance when kickoff will be. That's okay. You can deal with it because the TV networks tell us to do it and they're giving us hundreds of millions of dollars. Paying $20 for a hamburger at the concession stand of the game? Yeah. Yes, that's good. It's good for old state you. You need to do it for us, fans. I th- so, all right. I've, I've come around. Having a bowl game charge you $275 a seat for your marching band <laughs> to play for free. At halftime. And you got to pay for the seat for the tuba, too. <laughs> that 
that's college sports that I know and love. <laughs> you got to overpay for the hotel rooms, too. Four night minimum, 325 bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can get it on uh, Expedia for 119 Now, shut up. <laughs> Being a small business that barely survived the pandemic, Kevin and Bonnie write, our family and our staff cannot thank everyone enough for supporting Rocco's and Lefties this year, especially when we know so many people are struggling to get their lives back in order. These people really care. These are good people. What are they doing? What are they doing? Run from this operation. <laughs> There's no place for you here. <laughs> Being blessed it. with the run we're having this year, Rockos and Lefties would like to give back some of our good fortune to both universities whose fans are taking such good care of us. I'm going to shed a tear. <laughs> These are good, good, honest Omaha people. They are. Salt of the earth. And now you and if they ever move the damn tournament, I'm going to be mad. <laughs> Wetzel's rescinding the small you, sample Kevin Heisman. Rescinding the small sample Heisman. I can't believe it. Rescinded. <laughs> Reggie Bush will get his real one back before Bonnie and <laughs> Kevin will get theirs. I'll stick up for Bonnie and Kevin. Still, you can. I, we know you won the small sample Heisman, just like Reggie Bush knows he won his on the field. That's you true. won. That's you right. won yours at the bar. One shot at a time, baby. You earned it. It's the best part. Like Reggie Bush is more famous for not for having it taken away than yeah. all the people that also won it around this day. Like no one can remember <laughs> who won it the year before Reggie Bush. I don't know. <laughs> We're going on day seven of this event, and they're they got to show up at 9 a.m. and knowing that there is an ocean of hogs and rebels <laughs> fighting for a shot at the title behind That's them. That's right. That's a long week. Yeah. So yes, I'm, I'm they keep- deserve their money. <laughs> I'm worried they this can't is, afford the lake house now on the Oza, in the Ozarks and go to Shady Gators. They can't. They this might, is the bowl experience. They might have blown their shot. They're just marketing it all wrong. How can people be so smart and yet so dumb? <laughs> they could they could at least get the land. And then next year when Tennessee wins it all and breaks the new record, they could buy that. They could build the there house. There we go. I want you. I want Sully there leading the jello shot charge next year. Oh, I will. <laughs> oh, we will. We'll do a live pod from Monday, game three of the title. There you go. Uh, all right. So we discussed a number of times last winter the issues at uh, the controversy at swimming or issue or development, however you want to phrase it, involving Leah Thomas, Penn swimmer, who uh, transitioned to become a female, went and won an NCAA title. What was going to be the solution to this inevitably? We got our first kind of big movement on this case. Uh, this week, F I N A. What does that stand for, Pat? FINA. That's the that's it's it. That's FINA. FINA is FIFA. Is you know it's it's the international governing body of swimming. Federation of International. Like what? What's the N? Nata. You know the, the it's uh, natatorium swimming. Nata. Yeah. You know whatever okay. the arts. Yeah. Natatorium arts. There you I go. Get that. Anyway, whatever FINA is, uh, it runs the swimming, and it ruled on Sunday that transgender athletes can no longer compete in female events unless they underwent their tradition be- transition before the age of 12. They'd have to submit to uh, various uh, testosterone testing and things like that. We don't know if USA Swimming will follow. We don't know if the NCAA will then follow as such. FINA said we have to protect the rights of our athletes to compete. We also have to protect competitive fairness at our events, especially the women's category. FINA has said they would, cons- if there is demand for it, if it gets that way, they would create an open division 
I guess, transgender or anybody else who wants to swim in it, jump in the open division. So there might be three divisions going forward, uh, eventually even at the Olympics. I don't know. Uh, Pat, your thoughts on this decision and what should the NCA do? I expect the decision to trickle down to USA Swimming and to the NCAA because that's the way it was punted up the ladder. Uh, if, if you remember in January when this was discussed at the NCAA convention, when there was, you know, they were trying to decide what do we do with Leah Thomas at NCAA championships and made no decision. They said, we'll go along with whatever the national governing body wants to do, which caught the national governing body, which is USA Swimming, completely off guard. I think basically USA Swimming is like, well, we need to see what FINA is going to do. And now we know what FINA is going to do. So I expect this to maybe not be the exact uh, that is applied in American swimming and the NCAA, but something probably similar. Uh, my thoughts, it's an improvement. I don't think it's perfect. I know it's not perfect. There, I'm not sure there is perfect in this situation. It's really, really complicated. It's difficult. No matter what, people are going to be angry. People are going to feel like something has been done unfairly. What I like about this is it does not say... As a trans athlete, you can't compete. It's uh, if, if they do follow through with the creation of an open division, that gives them a chance to compete. It would hopefully give you a chance to have it. Let's make an Olympic open division. Let's have a national open division. Let's have a put that be part of the Olympic championships, have part of the national championships so that a trans athlete can represent their country, can be in the opening ceremonies, can compete for a medal, can have the medal put around their neck, can hear their nation's national anthem. You know, these could all be part of including those folks as opposed to pushing them away. Now, other people are going to say, what you're doing is creating separate but equal, uh, which obviously has been a problematic, had a problematic history in the United States. So there will be people, again, who don't like it. But I was at the NCAA Swimming Championships it wasn't a, a level playing field, in my opinion. And I think that was a lot of other people's opinions, too. I, and it's kind of hard to argue otherwise, even though some people have. I believe you are you are gaslighting folks to a degree if you're trying to say that the 65th best 500 freestyler in the men's competition one year is now the national champion in the women's, and there's no advantage there. Let's you know face the reality of the situation. I think Fina's trying to get to that and say, where do we draw the line? And it's... It's difficult because, you know, well, you need two years of uh, testosterone reduction or it's one year, or it's three years, and you got to get to this level or that level. If you make it a puberty sort of break off, now 12 is not necessarily puberty for everyone. That's just another problem there. But still, then at least there's, I think, less of a gray area to it. Again, I'm not saying it's a perfect solution or a perfect cutoff, but I think it's better than what we had uh, at the NCAA championships. Yeah, I, I, I like it. You know, I, I, I understand the issues. There's just, isn't a perfect, I don't know. You can wave a magic wand and have your perfect thing. I understand hardship that these kids go through or adults, but certainly the kids is what we're more thinking about because it's athletics and college athletics. And this will dribble down to high school and whatever increased rates of suicide, depression, substance abuse, other destructive decisions. It's, it's very, nobody, nobody sits there and says, oh, this will be fun. This is a very hard dealing with your identity. Friends of mine whose kids have gone through it, different things. It's just, it's hard. You talk to, and you talk to the athlete. 100% understand that. I understand this topic has been hijacked by 
bigots and self-serving politicians and turned into a wedge issue. And so that's not right. But I do think there is, I, I know I'm not that person. And I know there's many others who aren't who look at it and say, I want to do everything I can to create a world that uh, embraces the talents of all these kids and encourages them to feel good about themselves and maximize who they are and find happiness and find acceptance. But this isn't, it's not just a, a, a black and white issue. It's not just a, it's not a zero sum thing. And so there has to be a level of fairness here. And, and when you take it, I also know that this has not become a, a huge issue. We basically have one swimmer yeah, and, you know, a handful of athletes everywhere else, but it's coming and there's way, and, and for good and, and good, there's more kids that are, that are finally able to say, Hey, this is how I feel. This is what I want to do. So it should be a growing group just because society is now way more open to it or understanding it. And in the next 10 years, it'll be even more understanding, especially as the young people who are 20 and, you know, 18 and 25 now, they have children, right? Um, because the, the, the views on this are, are very generational. I get all of that and you want to be supportive, but there just has to be an even playing field. I, I wrote a column on this and I'll quote Sebastian Coe, who is a great uh, uh, track star. I think he won four, four medals, a couple golds back in the day. He runs basically track and field, world athletics. And he said, uh, they're going to probably follow FINA. My responsibility is to protect the integrity of women's sports. And we take that very seriously. As I've made clear, if we get pushed into a corner to the point where we're making a judgment about fairness or inclusion, I will always fall down on the side of fairness. You have to, and that's my responsibility. If one of my colleagues here at my team suddenly becomes transgender, it doesn't make a difference to me. They will continue to do the same job with skill and aplomb in exactly the way they were before they made that transition. That's, this is not possible in sport. It's fundamental to performance integrity that for me is a big, big difference. FINA noted that without eligibility standards based on biological sex or sex-related traits, we are very likely, we are very unlikely to see biological females in finals, on podiums, or in championship positions. And in sports and events involving collisions and projectiles, biological females would be at a greater risk of injury. Um, I just, I agree with all of that. And so as much as we want to do everything we can to support this pot, this group, there's a larger group that also deserves support. And until we can figure out how to make that work, I just think this is the right move. I, I, I don't know, you know, if you're, you're trying to promote you know, it's 50th anniversary of Title IX, right? They're trying to promote women's athletics. I, I don't think that if all of a sudden, if if we get to the point at some point in the future, and no, not tomorrow, but eventually, you're playing in a soccer game and and you can't compete, or the swim race is already predetermined with, I, I can't compete with that person. That will diminish interest in women's sports with girls at at the level that we really want. You know, not NCAA championship, but just at the pool at the local pool. Yeah, uh, and that my my additional thought on that is that, as you you alluded to, this has become such a wedge issue. It had become ugly. I mean, the scene outside the pool at Georgia Tech at NCAA Championships was a disgrace. I mean, it was all politically driven, largely hateful, and I am hoping that this decision can defuse some of that because. What the 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 panickers out there, the 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 bad faith panickers that were saying this will be the end of women's sports 
that was the the driving thing that, that vilified Leah Thomas, who did not deserve to be vilified at all. She did nothing wrong. She changed her. Well, she she followed the rules as the rules were written at that time. Exactly. She yeah. Right. She followed the rules as the rules were written at that time. She competed. She should have been allowed to compete. You shouldn't have changed. They couldn't have changed the rules in the middle of the season just to exclude her. So that was fine. My hope is that this takes some of the venom out because this was, and the, the, the reason why this was so disingenuous to me all along was because there was always going to be a solution. It just wasn't that we weren't ready to have the solution or, or at least a different plan. I'm not saying this is a solution. I shouldn't use that word, but a different plan in the middle of that swim season. This came up, the NCAA's rules were outdated. They weren't ready for it. They punted on it as they probably should have at that time. Now, We've got everybody's got a chance to breathe and to think and to look and say, OK, what do we do going forward? And this is the solution. It was, and we were always going to get there. This wasn't going to be the, you know, the death of women's athletics. So that was an overinflated scare tactic, I thought. And now hopefully we can go forward in a calmer and more reasonable fashion. And I think part of that is eliminating maybe the extreme viewpoint. And saying, look, a lot of people, a lot of right-minded and 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 well-meaning people, can see that this is an issue. I mean, it just is, and that goes. You know, I, I read uh, here's uh, here's Megan Rapino, the great soccer star. You know, who I I've covered for years and find to be extremely intelligent and fascinating, and all the respect in the world. Even when I would disagree with some of the stuff she would be arguing, she's she's very very smart, and this is her take. And it's opposite of mine. But I think people also need to understand sports is not the most important thing in life, right? Life is the most important thing in life. And so much of this trans inclusion argument is put through an extremely tiny lens of elite sports. Like that is not the way we need to be framing this question. We're talking about kids. We're talking about people's lives. We're talking about the entire state government coming down on one child in some states, three children in some states. They're committing suicide because they're being told they're gross and different and evil and sinful and they can't play sports with their friends that they grew up with, not to mention trying to take away health care. Now, I agree with all that, except most of this has not taken away health care, being called sinful or evil. That has nothing to do with the sport issue. Right. This is the big thing. I would also encourage everyone out there is afraid if someone's going to have an unfair advantage over their kid to really take a step back and think, what are we actually talking about here? We're talking about people's lives. I'm sorry, your kid's high school volleyball team just isn't that important. It's not more important than any one kid's life. And I just reject that argument. I, I agree in theory that, yes, if there was the existence of a volleyball team, I, I, yes, one kid's life is more important than a volleyball. But that's not it's not as it's not a, a, a the correlation isn't there. There are other ways to help that kid than to turn volleyball into something that's non-competitive. High school volleyball team is extremely important because it's actually a hell of a lot more important than the U.S. women's national team. Right. Because there are millions of girls playing yeah. high school volleyball and youth volleyball so they can play high school volleyball. And it can be the worst volleyball team on earth. Doesn't matter. You go to, I, I my kids played volleyball in like fourth, like when they were little, like we go to like fourth grade volleyball. Holy cow. <laughs> not, not an aesthetically pleasing sport to watch. <laughs> Anybody gets it over the net, everyone cheers, right? <laughs> But they're out there having fun doing stuff. It's a great sport. And so there's enormous value. And, and, and Megan Rubino knows that. There's enormous value in these teams and having millions of girls playing these sports. That's the whole point. It's not who makes the women's national team. 
it's the millions of kids just playing volleyball, playing soccer, playing softball, swimming, whatever. 50 years ago, you didn't get to do. Um, you had to wear pants. You had to wear pants. Yeah, the whole time. Three on, remember, uh, girls basketball, you could only play half the court. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My grandma had to play that. Yeah. That's not too long ago. Mm -hmm. the, yeah. The, the women's national team coach at the 2019 World Cup, Jill Ellis, grew up in England, was not allowed to play soccer. There was no girls soccer in her town. She ended up being the women's national team coach, right? That's just one lifetime. And Jill Ellis is not old. I mean, it's not, it's not like we're dusting off like an 80-year-old woman here. So it's extremely important, and it can't just be a choice because taken to its conclusion, it just, it just doesn't work. And I fear uh, there's too much other stuff we can do to try to help that one kid. You don't have to then kind of, I, I just, just like, I'm sorry your kid's high school volleyball team just isn't that important. It's just a, it's not really her best line. Yeah, no. I don't like it. Hey, I'll say my my daughter who competed against Leah Thomas probably falls more in line with Megan Rapino and more in line than I do. Uh, that's her opinion is that that I mean she get she said publicly she said we said on the podcast what she said that she had no problem competing against Leah Thomas uh, and I applauded her viewpoint. I just don't think know whether we see it exactly the same. Maybe that's generational. Maybe it's not. But uh, I think there is a way to go forward that works better for all involved parties. And I think that the FINA ruling gets us closer to that. If nothing else, what we need is people saying exactly what you said, not Brooke, you're out of touch. Oh, you just don't care. Or if you have, if you, or, or Brooke yelling at me and saying, oh, you just are, uh, you know, you just hate transgender kids. Right. Right. We need to have a discussion on it. And so, yeah, yeah. I think th there's a vast majority in all issues in this country, by the way, but uh, it's certainly on this that sit in the middle and go, that's eh, a good point, but okay. And you can't let the 10% fringe on each side scream and scream and scream. Yeah, this can't um, be reduced to oversimplifications and vilifications it, it, or, or, or we get nowhere. Right. It, Megan Rapinoe knows that a, a quality high school club team, not even the best, not like the U-17 men's national team, but just any old club team in any old city could beat the women's national team in a soccer game or compete very hard. If you, let alone if you played the top, if you went to the top of the, you know, ECNL thing and, and the women's, like, it, it, there is an advantage. Now, those guys haven't gone through the training, or what, but it's just she knows that. There's a reason you have women's sports and men's sports because there's a reason pat summit used to have lady vols team play the men's trainers well oh, yeah to get them ready every still, team every team every has girls, a squad of guys for the practice squad and they used to play some high school ball yeah yeah if that if, absolutely it's 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 okay um i just don't think you know i just don't think it's like well we have to potentially upend all of women's athletics because we're worried about there, you know, let's attack the other parts. Don't feel gross. Don't feel sinful. Don't feel all that. Let's not take away their health care, all the other things that are going on and maybe not. Right. I don't know. Deep yeah. Topic this week. It is. Yeah. Should I go back and ranting about jello shots? <laughs> it would be safer territory, I think. But uh, no, I think we need to discuss it. So. Yeah, it continues. But if if the track and field goes, do you think the NCAA will follow FINA? And world athletics, and uh, I know rugby, uh, the World Rugby Association came out, similar thing. 
I would guess most, I mean, look, on the world scale, the United States is extremely progressive. Yeah. So you can't really expect these world organizations to, you know, to do much. And I, I covered the a weightlifting uh, event at the Tokyo last summer, transgender woman from uh, New Zealand who competed. It was just very, it's just very, and they have weight classes and different things there. It's a little, but nobody had the answer. You know, nobody really was like, yeah, this totally makes sense. So, but should the NCA follow along and say, hey, if FINA says this, we're going to do this? Or do you think the NCA will, will I mean, I would imagine they, they don't want to deal with it, but what, where, where, what do you think the NCA does? Oh, they don't want to deal with it. That's for sure. They made that very clear, which is the way they've dealt with so many different things is please, somebody else, Congress, somebody come in and do something for us. And so they punted this to USA Swimming and they, yeah, they're waiting for someone else to make a rule so that those just profiles encourage in indianapolis and in all the presidential offices at the place uh, around the country who sit on the boards for the ncaa can say well see here's here's the policy so we're just going along with the policy and so yeah i expect this this will happen because they don't have to no no they, they do not have to but they they were very uncomfortable with this whole thing. I was there at the NCAA convention waiting for them all to come out of their meeting when they talked about this. And you should have seen everybody scurrying away from the media. They didn't even want to stop long enough to say they addressed it or what they came up with is like, oh, yeah, we'll have a statement later. We'll have a statement later. Please let me get away. Uh, and then the statement was, we're waiting for you. Basically, we're waiting for USA Swimming to, to make a call. Those folks, those folks are not going to step up and say, yeah, no, we're, we've got another idea. All right. Some reason this podcast has been on an elephant run <laughs> of stories. Things happen. You know, we just we find ongoing <laughs> sagas and they take us in a direction. We follow the direction. I think social media is getting really good at feeding us elephant. <laughs> yeah, we're getting a lot of elephant content, content all of a sudden. <laughs> the algorithms have figured us out. Happy the elephant was trying, they were trying to say is a person and should be freed from the Bronx Zoo. Uh, then we had the murderous, vengeful elephant in India that killed a woman and then showed up at her funeral and stomped her, stomped the body again. Like the meanest animal on earth. Well, uh, I got this one here. Hat tip Stephen Davis at Stephen Davis 9 sent me this. One of the more remarkable stories I've ever. Uh, and Sully, you have some uh, explaining to do. Irwin, Tennessee. Do you know where Irwin, Tennessee is? Sully, it's a small, tiny town it is described here on NPR. I have no idea. In uh, 1916, the circus came to the Irwin, Tennessee, which is in East Tennessee. Uh, oh, yeah, it's right. A Tri-Cities area, like right on the okay. A menagerie of animals from the Sparks Circus paraded through the small town of Kingsport, Tennessee, just a few miles from the Virginia border. There you go. The show's star attraction was a five-ton Asian elephant named Mary. But Mary suddenly stopped on the parade, noticed a pile of watermelon rinds, and veered off course for a snack. <laughs> this is 1960. I mean, okay. Riding on Mary's back was a new trainer, a man who had been a hotel bellhop just a few days before. And he struck Mary in the head with a large metal hook. In an instant, the elephant wrapped her trunk around the man and threw him <laughs> into a drink stand. Oh, my. The story goes she then stepped on his head in front of the crowd oh. of shocked onlookers. Oh, Hey, man, it's wow. wild in East Tennessee in 1916. <laughs> I mean, yeah. One man unloaded his pistol into Mary, but the bullets couldn't penetrate her thick eye. Oh, Mary my was goodness. Bad ass. <laughs> the Go townspeople Mary. began chanting, kill the elephant. When officials of the circus 
Mouse's upcoming stops made it known that the animal was no longer welcome. Mary's owner relented. They dubbed her Murderous Mary. <laughs> she had to die. But how and where? So over in <laughs> over in Irwin, um, they went, there's an enormous rail yard in a 100 ton derrick car with a crane that they thought was strong enough to hang an elephant. Oh, come on. So they brought Mary over to the thing. There's a photo. There's a photo. They had a public lynching of an elephant. They publicly lynched murderous Mary <laughs> at the Irwin rail yard. Oh, dear. Not everyone was happy about the spectacle. One rail worker refused, told his friends that he worked the night shift work. Killing the elephant would haunt him on his night rides. Uh, the crane slowly hoisted her a few feet off the ground. Uh, this is pretty sad, but whatever. Ends up dying. They hung an elephant. <laughs> App Appalachian history. The town sh shooting her in four soft spots in the head would be both difficult and dangerous. She wouldn't eat poison. <laughs> Smart. And the town didn't have enough power to electrocute her. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. The story is bananas. <laughs> yeah, I think. The picture is... Uh, it does not look real, but it, it is. They swear it is. Uh, the problem was the stigma of Mary's death haunted Irwin and citizens for many years. Good. People <laughs> didn't want to move to Irwin. They didn't want to open businesses in Irwin. And to this day, uh, at the Chamber oh. of Commerce, Kathy Huskins says an angry tourist came running in, barreling through the door and came up to the counter slung her hands down and says, I cannot believe you killed an elephant. <laughs> that was Librarian Angie Georgieff is used to strange fall calls and unannounced business visits from world travelers. <laughs> they just want to know, is it true? Is it true? Did it really happen? Well, it really did happen. There is an agreement on that. They're still getting crap about it 106 years later. 106 years, 116? No, 106. Yeah, 106 years. There's a book called The Day They Hung the Elephant. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kudos for the title, but yeah, <laughs> right to the point. What's the yeah. book about? Oh, I guess that's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there is a group of students at, beginning in 2016, the 100th anniversary. They now are trying to rid themselves of this. Uh, they have a week long series of events to celebrate elephants. Mm. Okay, and they're trying to do that, and uh, we love elephants. And these students are trying to raise money for uh, to support uh, and protect elephants around the world. The youth of the world will save us. <laughs> Something good is going to come out of Murderous Mary. There we go. I, I don't. This story is not really funny. I don't know what it is. It was so unbelievable. It uh, is. I, NPR has an All Things Considered on it. It's a seven minute listen. Wow. It's it's terrific. Um, yeah. A little bit of history. That's just incredibly somebody bizarre. somebody that's lived in East Tennessee for a most of my life, I've never heard this story. How about story. that? I had never heard it. I mean, elephant kills man, going, town kills elephant by awkward means. You think the think the crane can hold her? <laughs> oh, my goodness. They hung. Oh, and the picture I, is amazing. Oh, God. It's incredible. It's, it's, I, it, it makes me hope that Murderous Mary is still stomping around that town today. Yeah. Just giving giving some people some fright. That's right. Because they Lord knows they had nothing to do with this. But yeah. 
Just scare. Just a quick scare. That's just, that boy. Don't tell the uh, the elephant in India about Mary because he'll find oh, a way to America and destroy the entire it? town. Yeah, they'll just destroy Irwin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, now now Irwin's on the side of the elephants. So good on you, people of Irwin. <laughs> and if you have a parade full of if you're going to have a parade featuring elephants, do not have a, a watermelon stand. <laughs> anywhere near they might veer off and eat yeah. something yeah that yeah. <laughs> really was a bad idea whoever decided to have the watermelon stand next to a parade of elephants with the nude guy on the with back the, yeah you can't have the new yeah, guy. guy he's a bellhop yeah. bellhop Bell- hey i got a new job <laughs> they should have jailed him honestly in the company for, well, for not giving him enough training yeah he, he 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 found his own demise so I well, don't know that he died, or I don't know that I did he say. Well, died I mean, or they called he, her murderous Mary for a reason, right? Yeah, and yeah. you got imagine an elephant wrapping the trunk and just throwing you into a drink stand. Yeah, that's goring you. Yeah, I'm, oh my mm, god! I I hereby uh, solemnly pledge to not ride an elephant. I stay away from those guys, man. Yeah, I'll tell you that. I see an elephant, I get on my other way. Mm-hmm. All right, that's our pod. It's a weird one. <laughs> the pod for people that listen to the pod <laughs> it's late june baby very much so there's a zoo trade that we haven't even talked about that fit so really no 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 no. we'll, we'll save, save that it. that's save called it. a tease there'll be more next week yeah there, we still got We're a, not done with the elephant we still got a few lean weeks to get through here we're here as your elephant college football slash elephant pod <laughs> good god this show is problematic <laughs> We're going to go. We're going to read Phil Steele over the weekend. Yeah, we'll do a lot of Phil Steele. Yeah, we'll be better. We'll be better. Thank you for listening. Keep subscribing. Leave us nice reviews. We will talk to you later.